1: Breaker Breaker
0: 1-9, everybody, this here's the Stressless Camper coming at you wall-to-wall and treetop tall <laughs> from the Great American Highway. My name is Tony.
2: My name is Peggy.
0: And we are two RV industry veterans coming at you who travel part-time in a small trailer.
2: Looking to share big adventures and help you with great tips.
0: Tricks and,
2: and discounts. Absolutely. I don't know why we're suddenly Southern just because we're truck drivers. Well, it's not
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> it's that we're, we're on a CB.
2: Ah, but, you know, Northerners use those too. I know.
0: I had one. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the Stressless Camping Podcast, everybody. <laughs>
2: welcome. Uh, we
0: have a really fun topic for you today that I think is very useful. But before
2: that... We're going to talk about going for a long, long walk. Wait,
0: that's not trucking.
2: Well, now... Remember back in Keep On trucking that logo? Yeah, for, with the foot? Yeah, with the big foot. That guy was trucking on foot.
0: Keep On Stress Lesson.
2: <laughs> wow, where are we going anyway? Yeah. <laughs> I saw an article about the longest drivable road, which I want to talk about next week. But this week, you know, while I was doing some research, I also found about this guy named George Megan who did the longest walk ever of 19,019 miles. It took him about seven years to do that.
0: That's almost as long as waiting in line for a ride at a big popular amusement park.
2: So this guy, George, walked the whole Western Hemisphere from the southern tip of South America all the way to the northernmost part of Alaska at Prudhoe Bay. He did that in seven years. There's a book called The Longest Walk about it, and... I thought it was. Just, I just. I don't know. I thought it was interesting, and there's a little bit of an argument because while I was looking for the longest walkable route, I also saw one in the eastern hemisphere that goes from the southern tip of Africa to northeastern Russia, and it says it's the longest, but it says it's fourteen thousand miles, and this man walked nineteen thousand miles. So mm. I think there's a east west
0: fewer uh, lions on the west going coast one.
2: <laughs> So anyway, I just thought it was interesting, and we'll look a little deeper into long, long, long drivable routes, too.
0: Well, oh. maybe we could ask the traveling Tortugas, too. They were really... They've right. They've done a they lot of They have
2: definitely done a lot of long, long, long drives.
0: So there you go. The longest walkable road. But if you're not walking in your RV, which makes sense listening to this, <laughs> we have some tips for you when working with the people who keep our country supplied the truckers coming up after this message so we'll be right back
2: camping is all about great experiences and that's why we love harvest hosts
0: harvest host is the gateway to beautiful overnighting experiences
2: and with harvest Hosts, you can boondock at wineries and breweries, cultural destinations, golf courses, so much more. It's a great alternative to traditional campgrounds. Yeah,
0: a lot of those really great pictures you've seen online, like Instagram and such, have been taken at Harvest Host destinations, and you can experience those yourself.
2: You can, and we've got a good deal on Harvest Host memberships on our partners page at StresslessCamping.com. Enjoy your next Stressless
0: Camping getaway at a beautiful destination and save money in the process.
2: Winner, winner. Everyone's a winner.
0: Yeah. Hey, chicken dinner.
2: (laughs) We are very pleased to have my friend Dave Fala, owner, operator, truck driver, join us today. And we wanted to talk a little bit about trucks and RVs playing nice together on the road. And I found this little excerpt from a website, camperland.net. And I just thought I'd start with this and we can go from there. And Dave can give us some pointers While most truck stops have dedicated RV spaces and are technically privately owned businesses that cater to all travelers, be careful if you choose to park there overnight. As indicated by the name, the vast majority of truck stop clientele are professional truck drivers who need plenty of room to park their vehicles. Furthermore, drivers have a very strictly regulated timetable for when they must stop driving to rest and to take care of themselves, And if all the truck parking spaces are occupied by RVs, they can't fulfill this timetable and they are subject to trouble at work and likely fines. You won't be towed for using a truck parking space, but it demonstrates lack of courtesy and understanding to professional truck drivers. Just look for and use dedicated RV spots at truck stops. Dave, thank you for joining us and let's start from there. (laughs) You're very welcome.
1: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's a really interesting industry for those that are on the outside looking in with the rules and regulations that we must follow as drivers. We have a certain number of hours in our day to accomplish what we need to accomplish. There's no way to go over those hours in most cases. Now, occasionally, When there's a weather issue you might be able to extend your time a little bit but other than that once that clock starts ticking in the morning it doesn't stop you only have a specific number of hours to accomplish your job we're limited to a 14 hour on duty shift and of that 11 hours can be driving so what that means is that when i clock in in the morning and i start up my logbook My clock starts. I have 14 hours to get done whatever I need to get done. If I need to go drop off a load and then drive up somewhere else and pick up a load, any time that I spend at that receiver and then driving up and at that shipper is taken out of that 14 hours. Mm -hmm. Now, if I need to get that load 2,200 miles, I need to make sure that I can get as as far as possible on the hours that I have left to drive. So when it comes down to it, if I'm planning out my trip to make it to point A and I get there and there's no parking, I'm in trouble. Right. That's where I see the biggest issue is we can only go so far so fast. The majority of trucks that are out there today are governed. Meaning that no matter how hard you stomp on that accelerator pedal, that truck will only do 62 miles an hour. Oh. Mm. Okay. And a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people don't realize, especially with the larger companies, those trucks are limited to how fast they can go. Now, when you take a truck that can only go 65 miles an hour, and then you throw 40,000 pounds of freight on that truck, and that truck is sitting right at 80,000 pounds, when they hit any kind of a hill, what happens? They slow down. right? So you have to take that into account. Yeah, the speed limit might be 75, but if I'm personally in a truck that only can do 62, I'm not going to get nearly the number of miles that the guy that can do 70 can.
0: Right. For people who don't know, for the most part, truckers are paid by the mile exactly if you can only drive 11 hours and some of that is slower than 62 then you just get paid less for that day exactly exactly or it takes you longer let's say you have a load that has to go from point a to point b and you might think of it as a two-day trip it might take longer because of things and you still get paid the same so you're working three days to get two days work done
1: exactly exactly and the speed of the truck, the weight of the load, that all factors into how much money a trucker can earn, as well as weather conditions, traffic conditions, when you find yourself going through larger cities like, say, Dallas-Fort Worth.
0: I can only imagine, I mean, I remember being in traffic in LA and seeing the semi-tractor trailers and just thinking, oh, as we're all going three miles an hour for hours on end. Yeah.
1: Yep. And that's just time ticking away. Right. That's time ticking away on my clock. And if the road's closed because there's an accident. Oh, I didn't even think of that. The time ticking away on my clock. Exactly. I'm so thankful that you guys brought me on for this because this also gives an opportunity to present some of the stuff that a lot of people may not realize about the trucking industry versus running a large RV with a trailer behind it or running a large fifth wheel. You know, you're almost the size of a truck. Yeah. But you don't have quite the rules that you have right. to follow. Right, yeah. <laughs> Well, and the other you thing know? is,
0: I mean, the amount of training that you guys go through to learn to operate those things safely among the cars, which is its own challenge. <laughs> oh, oh yes i have plenty of those yeah if you're driving a car ladies and gentlemen know that it takes a lot longer to stop an eighty 000 pound truck than it does to stop your prius
2: right so a lot of our listeners probably have towed and and kind of have a better understanding of that but for those of you dreamers or those of you who haven't towed any kind of sizable trailer and don't realize this is a very important thing to remember that you don't Stop and start those things as suddenly no. as you do a RAV4 or whatever.
0: <laughs> exactly. My point was a semi tractor trailer at 80,000 pounds. You get a Newell coach or you get a, you know, some big King Air motorhome. Those things are, I think, 56,000 pounds dry, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's not far off. And you only need an air brake cert. And that's all you need.
2: Yeah, true.
0: So- yeah. And then you see one of the large, you know, 36, 38-foot coaches
1: with a 24 or 26-foot trailer behind it that they're hauling all the toys around in. That weighs as much as a lot of trucks on the road. Right. See, and I'm not familiar whether RVs are governed or not. Some of them, it sure seems like it. I've seen others that have passed me. <laughs> yeah.
2: Right, yeah. I don't
0: think so. I think RVs, you know, they just go as fast as they go. But in the past, the what they call the Class A, which is the, the bus format, right. have yeah, been right. pretty underpowered. Some of the new ones have those, like that Cummins X1 engine in it mm-hmm. that has something like 800 foot pounds of torque it's not gutless (laughs) no no
1: i've seen a few that have kept up with me on hills and i say that because my truck naturally being an owner operator i need to make as much money as possible so my truck's not governed so when i'm down say i'm down in the south or out in the west and the speed limit is 70 or 75 and the roads are open, I will be doing 70 or 75 miles an, <laughs> an hour. Right. One of the reasons for that is I do proper maintenance on the truck. That's, that's another key issue is trucking companies out there that are lackadaisical in their maintenance or company drivers that don't inspect their equipment enough and don't see problems before they develop
2: mm-hmm.
1: and causing safety issues. That's another thing that you don't know. What the history of that company is when you're passing that truck, it can be very scary.
0: Right, and that's true of RVs too. In some areas, there actually
1: is plenty of parking. Mm-hmm. There's are some areas out west that you get to, and they have very, very large truck stops. I mean, we're talking two, three hundred spaces.
2: Yeah, they
0: amaze me when you see all those trucks, like in Santanella, for
2: example. Yeah, so we're in Northern California and grew up in Southern California, and so to us, right. You know, BLM uh, open space is just—you know—it's everywhere around here. But I it's know it's the it,
1: greatest thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. I know. As,
2: the, <laughs> as you go farther and farther east, I know that's not the case, and it becomes even more and more important for you know the trucks to be able to find the spaces that are designated for them.
0: Well,
1: and that's just it. I mean, if we all work together, I think that I think that we can come to a come to a good middle ground on the whole deal because. A lot of truck drivers retire and buy RVs (laughs) (laughs) between trucking and RVers as well. We have that situation where some of the places where you used to be able to park overnight because of the less scrupulous crowd and people that don't pick up their garbage and don't clean up after themselves have now been closed down to RVs as well. Right. As a commercial driver, you used to be able to park in a Walmart parking lot. Hmm. If everything else failed and you were out of hours, you usually could whip into a Walmart or some shopping center or something, or pull off on an off-ramp or something like that. Well, now we've made all these laws where trucks cannot park on the highway, on the on-ramps and the off-ramps. And the reason for that is the accidents. If a trucker is parked on an on-ramp and taking his 10-hour break overnight, And a drunk driver comes around the turn Mm -hmm. and runs into the truck. And that's the trucking company's fault because the truck should not have been parked there.
0: It's more and more restrictive. And so I think a lot of RVers see the truck stops and they're like, woohoo, open space and stop there. But what are some of the things that you can suggest to the RV community for how to handle truck stops?
1: A lot of times one of the best things to do would be go in and talk to the employees at the truck stop and see if they have specific spaces for the RVs or maybe go in and say, hey, I have an RV, but I don't want to take a spot away from a commercial driver. Is it okay if I park out front here in the automotive parking area by the pumps and Mm -hmm. just take up a couple of spots there for, you know, eight or nine hours? Right. And naturally, when you do that, make sure to also give them your business and, and spend a little money there. That's one of the other things. These are all businesses. They're all in business to make money. Right. So if you go within, park in their parking lot, use their restrooms, and then boogie without paying anything, they're not making any money. And in the long run, it can actually cause them to close down. I have seen multiple truck stops that are or have been closed down just because of lack of income.
0: Can you imagine what it costs to buy that much land and put in all those pumps and all the infrastructure? It's not cheap.
2: And even if they don't end up closing down, that happens enough, and then they just say, well, RVs are not worth it to us to have here, and they're just not going to allow them.
1: Exactly. I have seen some smaller truck stops that have signs up that are commercial vehicle parking only. Right Now, there's not many of them. Because once again, we're a capitalist society and if you come in in an RV, hopefully you'll spend a little bit of money there and that's (laughs) ultimately what they're after. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they open these places is they want to make the money. Sure. Now on the other side of the coin, I've also seen guys come in in the big diesel pusher motorhomes, take up two spaces and throw the tip outs out.
2: Yeah. Not cool, guys.
1: (laughs) That one there will definitely make RVers way down on the list with commercial drivers right. because it's one thing to take up a spot with an RV, and we see it all the time. And it's like, oh, man, I was hoping for a spot, and here you got this guy in this old Winnebago over here taking up a whole spot when he's small enough he could park in two car spots up front. Yeah, that's where we see some of the animosity from commercial drivers to RVers. Sure, and. The fact of the matter is they're private property, but they open the parking lots for parking. So if you have an RV, you have the right to park there. Yeah. However, it's a really fine line. And with commercial drivers being restricted more and more each year, in fact, they're talking about now passing a bill that is going to limit every single truck in this country to a specific set speed.
2: Oh, wow.
0: Interesting.
1: That has been in the works, and they've been going back and forth with it for a while. That is the point where I get out of trucking.
2: Huh.
0: What's the speed they're talking? Anywhere between 62 and 67,
2: uh.
1: which doesn't sound that bad until you actually drive out in the West where right. the speed limit's 75 or 80 miles an hour.
2: And it's big, long stretches of road, and there's no real reason to go that slow.
1: <laughs> right.
2: And not only
1: that, but those are usually heavy shipping lanes. For example, I-80, I-40, I-70. Mm-hmm. These are big truck lanes all the way across the country, basically, Yeah. where there is a lot of truck traffic. I mean, I don't know if you've ever driven I-40 out of California to like Tennessee or something. Not yet. Not that far. <laughs> oh, but we're gonna. It's a gorgeous drive. For a long ways, if you really like the desert.
2: (laughs) Oh, I really do. (laughs) And there's
1: there's some really beautiful scenery, but there's a lot of trucks. And what'll happen is you'll wind up with a group of trucks that run 62 to 65 miles an hour. And they all wind up bunched up together. And then what happens? Traffic bunches up behind them. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, once again, these guys aren't making the same money, these guys aren't getting as far. And these guys are pushing as hard as they can to get to that truck stop before it fills up. Yeah. And if you get to a truck stop after seven o'clock at night,
0: your chances of finding a spot are severely limited. Really?
2: Oh. Is
0: there a way to reserve a spot or do they don't do that? Yes, most
1: of the large truck stops, for example, your Pilot, Flying J, Loves, TAs, most of them have reserved parking spaces. And usually if you have the membership, you know, the the club card basically, Mm -hmm. or the app on your phone. See, I have the app on my phone for one of the chains that I deal with a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I can actually pull up on my phone the truck stop that I'm going to and I can reserve my space at 10 o'clock in the morning.
0: Oh, that's good. interesting. In some ways, it's like a campground.
1: <laughs> in a lot of ways, and a reserve spot can run
0: anywhere from $15 to $20. So you're also paying for that then? Yes.
2: Whereas if you didn't make a reservation and you just got there, there's not a built-in cost for that. Like you said, you go in and buy your breakfast or whatever but that's not a built-in cost but when you reserve then it right. usually is exactly okay and
1: if i reserve a space and i get there and all the spaces are taken and i have a reserve space i go in and go uh, hey i paid for this yeah and i've actually had them close down a pump on the fuel island really
2: oh wow huh. to make and- sure you got a spot
1: put cones up and I actually took my 10 hour break out of fuel island. Don't tell anybody because that's another one that really fries people.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Because if you're filling, let's say a, a full size pickup and you're fortunate enough to have a big tank, you might get 35 gallons. I think you might have a couple more gallons on that truck yeah. that you're driving there.
1: Yes. My, my truck, holds about 280 gallons. Wow. <laughs> well, you almost need
2: that whole 10 hours just to fill your tank.
1: <laughs> Actually, that's the wonderful part is most of the truck stops have pretty high speed diesel pumps. Uh, I usually fuel when I'm around a quarter of a tank. Mm-hmm. And that's usually between
0: 180
1: and 200 odd gallons. And it takes me about
0: 11
2: minutes. Oh, it's so, not so bad. So for
0: all of us complaining about the cost of fuel right? in our pickups and stuff. <laughs>
2: in our 20-gallon tanks. Yeah, <laughs> imagine
0: buying 200 gallons of fuel at a time. And how many days will that last you? Usually about two. Okay. okay. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my fuel bills, and I
1: get decent mileage with my truck. Now, if I kept my foot out of it and drove for fuel mileage instead of distance, I probably could get a little bit better mileage, but I usually run about twelve to $1,500 a week in fuel costs. Yeah.
0: Wow. So I have a question. As somebody who deals with aerodynamics, I mean, this is part of how you live uh-huh. your life. The faster you go, the more fuel you consume. Have you noticed You know, breakdowns of, well, if I go 70, I get this. But if I only go 60, I get that.
1: You know, honestly, with my truck, I don't notice a big enough difference to matter for me. Now, that's me personally. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of companies govern their drivers is for fuel economy. Right. One of the companies that I drove for, I did a run that was... From Reno, Nevada to Longmont, Colorado, I did that run every week, and that truck would only go seventy miles an hour. And my loads going out to Colorado were usually relatively light, only about twenty-five or thirty thousand pounds, and I would usually get about seven point two miles per gallon. Now, in my personal truck, if I now that I own my own truck, if I make that same run, I get between seven and seven point one. Riding it's a speed limit of between 75 and 80
0: miles an hour. Okay, So it's not that big a difference. Because I know for us, if we go 55, and I shoot myself while I'm doing it, <laughs> I can get like 14 miles to a gallon. That's a gasoline full-size pickup and a, and a travel trailer. Uh-huh. If I hit more than that, if I go 65, <laughs> it's down to 11. It makes that big a difference.
1: Absolutely. And that's the thing is you're also dealing with A gasoline engine and a pickup truck versus a very large, diesel engine.
0: Yeah, you have enough torque for five of us.
1: (laughs) Exactly. My truck that I have now is a 500 horsepower with a 13-speed transmission. (laughs) I have very few times where I have any real problems on hills or anything like that because of the horsepower and the torque on that. A lot of company trucks and a lot of fleet trucks are 425 horse, and they usually only run a 10-speed transmission, Mm. which is a big difference on where you can keep the RPMs and the power, keep that turbo up, get a little extra juice out of it, et cetera. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with the RVs. And like you said, you shoot yourself every time you do it. You're like, oh my God, I'm doing 55.
3: Yeah.
0: (laughs) It feels like I could get out and walk faster. Exactly. And you know what? All that I ask as a professional
1: driver. Just go ahead and stay in that right hand lane. I'll be out and around you in no time. Yeah. <laughs> and you do you, I'll do me. Well, I'll be safe.
2: Right. Don't
1: all of a sudden, when you're doing 55 and I get up next to you, decide you want to try and race. Oh, yeah. I don't
2: know. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, what are some of the things that RVers can do on the highway around trucks to make everybody safer?
1: Mainly, that's the big one. If you are not moving at the speed limit, And I say this to truckers as well. If the speed limit is 70 and your truck is governed at 65, you need to be in that right-hand lane.
2: Yeah.
1: Because you're causing an impediment to traffic at that point, and that's where we get the majority of accidents. There was a university that did a study, and I am so disappointed that I didn't pull this up and have it readily available. But they did a study of crashes in commercial vehicles versus passenger vehicles.
0: And who was at fault and the percentage of that? Any guesses? Without having read this study, I'm going to guess probably about 85% passenger vehicles.
1: Exactly. It was 79 and change. Okay. And we're all guilty of it. We get up into a situation and we have a slow truck passing another slow truck. The speed limit's 70, they're doing 62 and 62 and a half yeah. trying to get around each other. Yeah. And everybody else is doing 75 when the speed limit's 70, and all of a sudden we've got brakes and everybody's changing lanes. That's where we have the problem. The best thing to do, I don't care what speed you want to run. If you want to run 45 on the freeway, that's fine. Put your four ways on, get in the right hand lane, <laughs> you're good.
2: And just stay there. Pick a speed.
1: You want to run 70, run 70. Just make sure that when you are in a situation that you look up and you see people behind you and you have the opportunity to move over, you move over. If you're on a very windy mountain road and you cannot drive an RV nearly as fast as a car can, watch for those turnouts Mm -hmm. and let traffic around you because that is going to save someone's life in some cases because somebody is going to get impatient and make a real bonehead move. Yeah. I've seen it way too many times. I have it way too many times on my dash cam, and it happens. Unfortunately, people are not patient enough around RVs or trucks. You have a heavy RV. I'm sure you've experienced it. You get a good-sized hill, and you got to work.
2: Right. It slows you down. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with trucks.
0: Yeah, it just depends on your vehicle, but you also, you know, they don't corner as well and all of that (laughs) nonsense. No, (laughs) no, (laughs) no. It's not a Honda that bends in the middle, kid. Yeah, (laughs) you're talking about a lot of weight. Yeah, we have a passenger car, and I very specifically got it with a six speed manual because it's more fun that way. And I can absolutely I can go on windy, twisty roads at speeds that give my poor wifey gray hair. At speeds that make
2: his poor wifey stay home so she doesn't turn green. Yeah, she
0: doesn't. (laughs) She
2: won't go with it. (laughs)
1: There's so much in common between RVers and commercial drivers. I think there's a lot more in common than a lot of people realize. Yeah. Because as an RVer, you're dealing with a much larger vehicle, a much heavier vehicle, a much longer vehicle in many cases than a regular car. You can't get in and out of some of the places you can with a car. Now, take that and extrapolate that out to a truck. Yeah. And then realize that not only can we not get into those places we are also completely prohibited going into some of these areas.
2: Oh, right.
0: Yeah, there are roads that specifically prohibit you being on them. Exactly. And so we have to plan out accordingly. Yeah. It's like, okay,
1: well, I have a delivery here, but unfortunately I can't take a truck down this road, so I have to go four blocks out of my way. Yeah. Southern California is the best for that.
2: (laughs) Have you found
0: a good navigational system that works to accommodate the size of vehicle and, and the restrictions?
1: Absolutely. There are several out there. Your commercial navigation units, the Garmin diesel, the Rand McNally truck navigation, are all designed around trucks and truck routes. Mm-hmm. So if you're somebody that is hauling the Ram 3500 dually Cummins, and the 40-foot (laughs) triple-axle toy hauler on the back of it, and you're eight feet short of being a semi, that's probably the navigation you should use. Yeah. Because that's going to keep you on truck route and keep you from getting into one of these little windy back roads where all of a sudden you realize, oh, no, I don't fit.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah,
0: not only that, but also low bridges and that sort of thing, because some of those fifth wheels are 13 and a half feet tall. They're almost at max height.
1: That is max height for most semi-trailers. For most of your van trailers, it's 13.6. Anything over that, you're looking at permits. And the other thing is with those that I just mentioned, I personally, I run the Garmin Diesel. And I can program in the length, width, and height of my truck.
2: So that helps the system tell you where not to go.
1: Exactly. And I have to watch it because there's a couple of places. I think there was one up by Seattle. I don't exactly remember where. But the off-ramp was only like a 12-foot clearance. Interesting. The freeway was still 13 and change,
0: but because the off-ramp was only 12-something,
1: it tried to route me around it. Anyway. Well,
0: that would be good because you don't want to make a convertible <laughs> out of that van trailer.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's the other thing is if you go into a truck stop and you buy the Rand McNally Truckers Atlas, And you turn to the front page there, it will actually give you all the low bridges and all of that on all Hmm. the truck routes. Okay. That's a great tip. The Rand McNally Atlas would be very useful for RVers as well as truck drivers. I think everybody should have an Atlas it gives you very good maps down to a certain point. <laughs> I that got to shake my finger at, at him because
2: yeah. I still Uh-oh. carry an atlas in my passenger car and he mm-hmm. says, "No, we have GPS on our phone, that's all we need." And there was a time that we, well, and this was this was probably 12 or 15 Uh-oh. years ago and GPS's weren't very refined. I think we had a, you know, a separate GPS unit and we right. were driving through Sacramento in that spaghetti factory of highways and things were closed and the GPS couldn't download fast enough for us to figure it out. And I finally just pulled over and opened my map and figured out where I was and got us out of there. Still, always, I always have paper. Yeah,
0: she's a paper person (laughs) and I'm a digital person.
1: Well, you know what?
0: There's nothing wrong
1: with either one of those, but both of them together is perfect. Yeah, Yeah.
0: absolutely.
2: (laughs) So Dave, another way that RVers are a little bit like truckers or vice versa, is that you drive to a destination and you stop and then you sleep in your quote unquote RV in your truck cab, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there's some amazing ones out there.
2: I know you've said you have done RVing too. So you know what RVs have and how close to an RV is your truck?
1: Well, aside from plumbing... I have a bed, I have a refrigerator, I have a TV and a DVD player, Great. you know, and a little bit of storage. I mean, I run a smaller sleeper because of some of the areas that I go, it's much easier to get in and
2: out of. Uh-huh. So
1: my sleeper's only 60 inches.
2: Okay. Hmm.
0: So it's five feet. I do these RV reviews for RV travel and some of these giant sleeper cabs where it literally is Uh an RV. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: You'll see a lot
1: out there that are 120 inch and above. So, I mean, you're talking about a 10 foot. Yeah. And in those, you usually have a one or two burner stove. A small sink, a shower, a lavatory. Wow. Maybe a small oven and a microwave as well.
2: Yeah, ten foot. That's almost as big as our trailer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. And that's the thing is the guys that run those usually run very specialized equipment and usually haul very specialized loads. Mm -hmm. Those aren't the guys you're going to see going in and out of the industrial areas and big cities for the most part. Right. I've been in places that once I had my truck docked and into the dock and straightened out and everything done, I had enough room between my front bumper and the fence in front of me to the next yard That another truck could drive through if they went through real slow.
2: But that's not true of those bigger ones. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If I was driving a truck that had a 120-inch sleeper, I would be completely and totally blocking Blocking. the path.
2: Yeah. Yes.
1: I went down. I bought a nice 8-inch memory foam mattress. I actually have a double bunk. So there's another bunk up top that folds down. So... My boy, who's 13, when he wants to come out with me, he can come
0: out with me. He has his own bed. That's super cool. How does he like it?
1: Well, it's actually ironic because he went with me on a trip here last year, and it was supposed to be a quick turn from Reno out to Denver and back, and we wound up out for three and a half weeks. Oh, boy. And we hit 22 states. Wow. Wow. That's cool. He was ready to be home by the end of that one. (laughs) I was too, I'm not going to lie.
2: Well, it's a good lesson to learn. You know, we talk a lot about just in RVing and in camping in general to, you know, be a little flexible and not get too upset if things don't go exactly right and, you -hmm. know, have backup plans and... Yeah,
0: set your plans in jello.
2: Yeah. But when you change that much, that's a a lot of change. I know that can be tiring.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's
1: the thing is we have the opportunity to do that and it's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. Mm Mm-hmm. We listen to a lot of audiobooks and sit there and watch a movie at the end of the night.
2: <laughs>
0: Wait, you don't listen to the Stressless Camping podcast? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to start now. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done enough camping
1: lately. It's been a very busy couple of years. With COVID, I was blessed enough to be in with a company that was still very busy so i didn't really feel the pinch like That's a lot of good. people i truly blessed there I, I will not i will not argue that at all there's other guys that i know that actually wound up selling their trucks at that time because Ooh. they were just done
2: yeah wow
0: so on that i told you i write those rv reviews i looked at the volvo vnl sleeper cab and then also the ari legacy sleeper which oh yes those things are cr- <laughs> crazy
1: Oh, the VNL with the with the workstation and table down yeah. at the bottom that
0: folds into a bed. Oh, yeah, they're fantastic.
1: As far as trucks go, that is probably the quietest and most comfortable truck I've ever driven.
0: And they're amazing because now it used to be you'd have to know how to operate a manual. I mean, heck, you used to have to know how to double clutch. And now yep. those new transmissions are fully automatic. <laughs> Some of the old school guys out here can still run double and triple
1: sticks. (laughs) You want to talk about fun when you got a six over four and you've got two levers you got to play with while you're shifting versus just the one with a couple of switches on
2: it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it has changed a lot. It has come a long ways. Yeah. The trucking industry has changed a lot. Sometimes not for the better, in my personal opinion, because I'm pretty old school. I learned to drive on a 1965 international cab over. Didn't even
0: have a radio. Oh, Uh. man. You never see cabos anymore. They're too hard to get in and
1: out of. There's not enough room in them. And when you're spending this much time on the road, you want a little bit of room.
0: Yeah. And they're hot. Yes. Because you're sitting on
1: an engine. (laughs) Right on it. There's nothing between you and that engine but the doghouse.
2: Right. Does get toasty. I'm not (laughs) sorry.
1: With the changes that have come, not only in trucking, but in RVs as well. If you look at now at some of the amenities in these RVs, I mean, you're talking about fawn, washers and dryers, ovens. I mean, all of that. Yeah.
0: And then, I mean, I just wrote a review, which hasn't come out yet, but it's about the New King Air. It's got heated porcelain floors. Jeez. Yeah. Of course, it's also a million three, so.
2: Uh, well, change. yeah, you
0: know it depends on what you're after, I guess,
1: right?
2: right? You know, we I grew up camping, and without, uh, you know, my mom had a, either a travel trailer or, in later years, a 1965, six, 64 No, it was a sixty-seven six Winnebago. Anyway, with the doghouse. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of doghouse. Oh yeah. And it had some kind of battery operated lights and a toilet, but. When Tony first said when we got our travel trailer that he wanted to go boondocking and I said, Oh no, we yeah, you know, we have all these amenities, we have to go plug in somewhere and use them and it took him a while before I finally realized boondocking is what I've done my entire life. You know? Right, <laughs> I right. I didn't have all those things and you know, now vintage trailers, now I'm kind of mm. Dreaming about having a vintage trailer, you know. But now I'm right. too spoiled. Whatever it is, it has to have some kind of a potty in it. That's oh, just yeah. that's my that's my basic criteria. Oh, <laughs> like I'll walk to a shower, but I need a potty.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, that's therein lies another thing as a trucker. Yeah, we can't just pull over to gas station.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah,
1: we need those spaces at the rest stops. Yeah. And most of the rest stops, it's cars on one side and trucks and vehicles with trailers. So the majority of the time it's RVs
2: yeah.
1: on the other. Yeah. And that's another thing is a lot of guys will time out their 10-hour break and stop at a rest stop. Mm-hmm. Some rest areas only have an eight-hour limit.
2: Oh.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So as a trucker, I cannot stop there and take my 10 right. or I run the risk of having a ticket. It's
0: crazy all the rules that there are without, like I know in California, the number of rest stops is, I mean, so many of them are closed. Yes. And it's so frustrating because by the same token, if you get tired as an RVer and you're like, oh, I just need to stop and you can't, the rest stops are closed. Everything's it just stinks.
1: That's not just California. That's several different states. There's some in Arizona when you drive by. They've been closed so long that nature is basically just taken them <laughs> over. Uh,
0: that's so frustrating. There should be a, a requirement in a highway that there's a rest stop every specific number of miles. Because there's also times when you've been drinking coffee and you need to pay that rent. <laughs> and you, you have oh, yes. to. I mean, in an RV, it's easy. that The toilet's following you around. But I can't imagine... Pushing a big rig around. Yeah. <laughs> I will tell
1: you a little bit of a secret of long-haul drivers, and it is actually one that people go, oh, most long-haul drivers keep a gallon water jug for just that reason. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That doesn't surprise me. Yeah,
1: or Gatorade bottles, <laughs> yep, water bottles. Anything that, if the need is there, they, you can take care of it. Yeah. And it's not a pleasant thing. Now, imagine if you're, Not feeling well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Therein lies another problem. Right. Oh, and trust me. Oh, boy. Not a pleasant thought. No. As an RVer, you have a lot more freedom than a truck driver. Like I said, not only the hours. But having the facilities available,
2: right? Because it, because in an RV, if you have that desperate situation, you just pull over on the side of the road if yeah, you're that desperate. It's a, a two-minute stop. And you stop. hop in the camper and you go and you get back on the road. But as a truck driver, you have to find somewhere with a facility or a whole lot of privacy.
1: <laughs> or the other hand is is in an RV. Nine times out of ten, you could actually pull off into a regular gas station.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And it may even be that. You know, you have to get gasoline anyway because we don't have two hundred and eighty gallons of fuel.
2: Yeah, we have found that our bladders and our gas tank are usually pretty well in sync. (laughs) Perfect.
1: That works out well.
2: Our bladders don't last two days like your gas tank does. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah. I can I can get twelve or sixteen between twelve and sixteen hundred miles out of a full tank. Yeah. Wow. I usually shoot to get about seven hundred miles a day. That's a heck of a run, but yeah. That's using the drive time and the speed limit to my advantage. Right. I can leave Reno, Nevada and make it to usually somewhere out in Arizona, (laughs) if not into New Mexico.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Oh, man, we really appreciate your time with us today. Yeah, for sure. And I think we got some good tips for RVers to be better neighbors to the people who bring us all this stuff that we put in our yeah. RVs.
1: <laughs> well, I really appreciate you guys shoulder tapping me on this.
0: We hope that our paths cross somewhere out there at a at a truck stop or maybe even an R V park. There you go. There you go. Well, it was a pleasure talking with you guys.
1: Thank
2: you so much for your time, Dave.
0: Yeah, it was Absolutely. it was a pleasure.
2: Did you make our camping reservations?
0: No, everything's full. We might have to rethink our trip.
2: No way. Did you look at Boondocker's welcome? You remember they have hosts all over the place where we can stay free. Some that are totally off-grid camping and some with partial and even full hookups. There's all kinds of great places to overnight.
0: Of course! And we even have a coupon code to join Boondockers Welcome on our partners page. You could save five bucks when you sign up. How could I forget? There are all kinds of great places we can find on the Boondockers Welcome website. Our trip is
2: saved! And speaking of saving money, we will, since there's no charge to stay at any boondockers welcome site it's the best deal out there and it's a great way to meet local hosts and stay in local places and expand our journey
0: well i'm gonna finish planning our epic road trip and it's gonna be even better with stays we find on the boondockers welcome website and it's so easy to locate hosts along your next epic adventure all right well we are back and i wanted to talk about something that i didn't want <laughs> the reason i say that is as i write more and more stuff for more and more places including stressless camping people are starting to ask because hey you want to try out this or you want to try out that and of course if i think it has value as an rv i'll say sure i'll at least give it a try and that was not the case initially with the DrinkMate. And what the DrinkMate is, is it basically takes carbon dioxide and carbonates drinks. And I'm like, no, I mean, yeah, I drink fizzy water. And all of a sudden, Peggy started to like fizzy water. But I'm like, well, but I don't need another gadget. And then I thought about it. And I thought, self, the DrinkMate will be smaller than carrying around cases of fizzy water. It'll be cheaper because at least in California, you buy your case of water or whatever, and then there's a deposit that you pay.
2: On every single can or bottle.
0: Right. And I have no idea where to go to get that back. At least in our county, there is no place that I'm aware of for redeeming that. And when I'm on the road, I don't really want to look for a place to redeem it. And of course, I want to recycle, but it's not a good system. Anyway, so I did get this drink mate and we tried it out and actually I really think it's a good addition because A, it's cheaper we're not having to go and buy cases of soda.
2: It's lighter weight because we're not carrying around cases of soda. Yeah, we're
0: just using the water from our tap and I know some of you are like, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> but remember, we also did a review of the Clear Two O water filter. Right. So
2: our tap water ah, is yeah, super good Yeah, I think our tap water drinkable. is
0: good. Yeah. And so we get great water out of the faucet and then we could turn it into fizzy water. But I also carbonated orange juice, pineapple juice, water <laughs> with stuff infused in it like lemon. And then I had a peach concentrate and a tangerine concentrate. By the way, don't carbonate tomato juice. It is disgusting. Ew. <laughs> well, I had to. It was, so you, you have know, to if, try it. If you're going to send me a free thing, I'm going to abuse it <laughs> just to see what it's like.
2: So the one thing we did find out for sure is that it's best to have beverages that are really cold. So yeah. he doesn't carbonate tap water straight from the tap. Nope. He carbonates water from the tap that's been in a pitcher in the refrigerator. So it's nice and cold.
0: Yeah, it makes all the difference in the world. So room temperature stuff doesn't carbonate well, nor does milk.
2: (laughs) Yikes. So anyway, it's not a very huge thing. It's kind of like a really compact coffee maker, I guess, in terms of size tall and skinny and it will travel with us very well and Tony can have his fizzy waters whenever he wants them. Well
0: and the other thing is it takes no electricity. Essentially it's all powered by the carbon dioxide bottle and I did a calculation and it looks like it's between 20 and 30 cents a 12 ounce serving of the water which is on par or cheaper than buying it in cases. Right. And again you don't have to deal with the recycling issues
2: i don't kick the case of water that's under the yeah. table yeah i don't have to <laughs> store <laughs> it or transport it
0: or seek it out and so i was surprised i actually thought this was a worthwhile rv gadget we're very particular about what we bring with us because we have a small trailer right and so there's not a lot of space so this actually was a net Result of increased space,
2: right? This is going to be a better use of space. Yes, and cheaper. And you can have carbonated milk whenever.
0: No, don't do that or orange (laughs) juice. It's gross. It's truly gross. But you gotta try it.
2: You gotta try it. Now, the one thing I haven't tried
0: yet is recarbonating like a dead beer. Like, what would happen? Would it work? And in theory, it should be fine. But why would I want to kill a beer to try it? That's oh, the one thing. Might
2: be worth it to try. But I do want to try sparkling up a glass of wine one day. Maybe that rosé that I have in the fridge, that should be good sparkling. That sparkly. would be,
0: yeah. That'd make a good fizzy wine.
2: All right. Hmm. Okay, I got to go. Bye. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, wait. No, no, not yet. First, we're going to go to Colorado.
0: Oh, yeah. This is well, going mean, to be great.
2: you know, virtually.
0: We're going to talk with Rebecca Dean from Elk Creek Campground in Grand Lake, Colorado.
2: Well, this week, we are traveling to Colorado, and we are visiting with Rebecca Dean, who, along with her husband Donald and their son Douglas, run and own the Elk Creek Campground in Grand Lake, Colorado. Rebecca,
3: thank you so much
2: for joining us today.
3: Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm so excited to do this. I've never done a podcast
0: before. (laughs) Well, Well, welcome.
3: Yeah. Thank you.
0: I see on your website that there are quite a few pictures of... Are they moose or elk?
3: No, they're moose. That's why people are like, you got to change the name of your campground to Moose Creek. <laughs> yeah,
0: of because I'm like, that doesn't look yes. like an elk. but No, they're moose.
3: We do get elk in the fall that come down just because they know that they're safe. Everything around us is free hunting territory, so they, they uh, come and hang out with us in the fall because they know they're safe here in the campground. <laughs> I have lots of hunters that stay with me, and I, I've never once sold out an elk to them. I'm like, no, you can't shoot in the camp. That's not fair. It's like right. a fish and a yeah. barrel. They're standing right at your cabin door. You can't shoot right from your porch. But
2: <laughs> they're no. mocking me. But most me. of the
3: time in the summer, we have moose here almost every day. There's some days that we'll have seven moose in our small little 14-acre campground. That's pretty
2: dang cool.
3: Yes, it is very cool. You're pretty
0: in the middle of nature there? Well,
3: we have plenty of trees and willows around the sites, and that's why the moose come. There's a few of them that I can recognize, like they hang out in the same place. They just seem familiar.
2: That is so cool. It's just as much a destination for the moose as it is for the humans. (laughs)
3: That's correct. That is. And like I said, we have people that come and stay here just for the moose. I mean, they love the campground too, but they love the fact that, you know, oh, last year when we were at our site, when we woke up in the morning, they were sleeping at our picnic table, and so... <laughs> it, is, it definitely is a draw to the campground and that it's smaller. It feels more like a state park. It doesn't feel like a big campground just because we are small. Like I said, only 14 acres and there's only 50 RV sites.
0: Are the moose there all year round or is, are they seasonal? Or I
3: saw the mom and a yearling yesterday. So they are around. I don't see them every day. But they don't go too far. I think they travel, you know, a couple miles distance radius. So, you know, it could be that they went across the street and up over the hill and hung out at the neighbor's house for, you know, a month or so or whatever. But they don't travel large distances. They tend to come back to the same area. And so basically starting about now, I should start seeing them on a regular basis and then they'll stay all the way through until the fall. So when the elk move into camp, the moose leaves.
2: The moose And leaf. people are huh. like,
3: What happened to the moose? And you would think that they're bigger and You know, they just seem more massive, but elk tend to travel in herds and moose tend to, you know, like I said, when we have seven in camp at one time, they're never like all together. It's like little pods, you know, they hang out like the mom and the kids or the dad and the mom. So they don't travel in large groups, so I think maybe that's what scares them off as opposed to like if they were to fight, but you usually don't see them in the same place at the same time.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So there's a
3: short period of time in the fall where they're gone, and then as soon as the the season's over, then they tend to reappear because they want to reclaim their territory because they're like, hey, this is our campground.
2: This is ours. And you're not open all year round. Is that right?
3: That's correct. We're open from the 15th of May till the first weekend in October.
0: I assume that's because it snows like heck. It was
3: just snowing this morning, actually. So (laughs) every time we think we're getting ready for camping season and we have a lot to do before we open up, then you get these late snowstorms. So it's not Huge, substantial amount of snow, but it does make for a bad mud season when you have to wait for all the snow to melt for things to dry up before campers can come in. And so that's the main reason. And like the National Park, the entrance is one mile from the campground. And so we have to wait. Some years they have the park open Memorial Day weekend. That tends to be their go-to date. You know, if there's no snow, they certainly will open it up sooner.
2: And that's Rocky Mountain National
3: Park, right? Rocky Mountain National Park, correct. And it
2: goes up over the top and then down into Estes Park? Into Estes
3: Park. Okay, okay. Mm
0: -hmm. In the area, talking about what there's to do, obviously one of the great things to do is to see moose and elk.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and
3: just sit around camp and look at the wildlife. That sounds like a good trip. (laughs) The proximity to the park is probably the biggest selling point. Just because the Rocky Mountain National Park, I believe, is ranked like third as far as busiest parks, as far as visitation. So we are exactly a mile from the entrance to the park and a mile to the little town of Grand Lake. And so it's like ideal for people to use us as a base camp because the other side of the mountain, we call it Estes Park, tends to be a little bit more commercialized and busy. And this is definitely the quieter side. But people have access to three pristine mountain lakes but they can go fishing. We have a yacht club actually here in Grand Lake, so they have sailboat races and excellent hiking in, in the park as well as in the national forest, so it's a little bit of everything for people that want to be outdoors and yet it's still kind of small town. I mean, there's yeah. definitely restaurants and dining and we have a repertory theater um, that is, you know, highly ranked as far as, huh. you know, the productions oh. that they do in the summertime. So for a small little quiet sleeper town, you know, that's the the secret about Grand Lake is that it is such a special place.
2: So you mentioned that there were restaurants. Is there any specialty regional delicacies in the area that people don't want to miss when they're in that area?
3: I think that they come up and they have lake trout. They will have elk. Some of the restaurants, you know, have elk medallions or elk steaks on the menu. Rocky Mountain Oysters. I was
0: going to ask you about that. (laughs) I was dying
3: to hear that. (laughs) I don't highly recommend those to guests, you know, if they ask me, but they're like um, just less than a half a mile from the campground is the historic Grand Lake Lodge. And so, you know, they have a wide variety. I know they have trout and elk on, on the menu, but they also have, you know, fantastic panoramic views of everything. Plus it's a historic site. That did survive the fire, and so people will be able to come up and, and sit on the front porch and look out over the lake. And then there's the Rapids Lodge, which is down in town and it sits right on the river. Sometimes the moose will cross right across the river, and you'll be dining at the restaurant and see them. So there's great places to go besides like specialty things. It's more about the experience while you're at the restaurants because yeah. you know, the views or the river or just that mountain feeling that you're in a small town. It's not commercialized at all. It's not like you're gonna walk in and say, Okay, well where's the chilies or where's the Yeah, you know, it's definitely not like that. It's all you know, small mom and pot type things.
2: That's yeah. awesome. Those are the kind of towns I avoid anyway, the ones with chilies on every corner. <laughs>
3: or whatever. Right.
2: No, yeah. nothing against chilies.
3: I tell them to go to Estes Park, and I said, you can go over there. It's beautiful. There's wonderful hikes on that side. It's great to visit. I said, go there for the day, get the T-shirt and the saltwater taffy, and then come back here to the Peace and Quiet. Right. Uh,
2: <laughs> your
0: destination is the kind of place that we seem to gravitate towards, more small-town, locally-owned the Instagram-worthy.
3: The Andy Griffith area. Yeah, (laughs) sure. And it it definitely does feel like that, and there's times that I'll walk out, and it it just truly feels like that in the campground, like this Andy Griffith, Norman Rockwell kind of thing. You know, the kids (laughs) are out walking, and the moose is crossing. It's just surreal, and I have to stop myself sometimes and say, hey, I can't believe I actually live here. I mean, I'll look out my office window and I'll be making a reservation and a moose will walk by my window and I just have to stop and say, excuse me, but there's a moose standing here. I'm just taking it in for a moment now. What were your dates that you were looking for? And they're just like, really? I'm like, yeah. So it's just... It's a blessing, you know. I just can't imagine being able to live in my hometown and and do what we do. And yeah. So we just feel truly blessed, and it's more like just having house guests all summer. I don't feel, and that's the way the campground feels. It just tends to be a tighter knit people, and like I said, since we have so many repeat guests, that it just has that sense of you feel like you're at home. You don't feel like you're just a number. Of like, oh yeah, just go to site twenty-four. We have a lot of rallies here at our campground. I have four different ones that come, and most of them are, like, vintage-type trailers. I have one in June, two in August, and one in September. And I love when they're here because the campground feels the way that it was meant to be.
2: You yes. know, it's not like
3: you've got the 40-foot bus next to the 38-foot fifth wheel <laughs> next to the, yeah. You know, it's just the little vintage trailers, and they fit in. They're so cute, and it's just we've had Sisters on the Fly and the FAC and the Tin Can tourists and uh Rocky Mountain Dreamin our pod rallies and they're all just perfect sizes.
2: That's awesome.
3: I'm not trying to discriminate against the people with big trailers, but definitely when it comes to the space and the feel of the campground, the, the smaller vintage trailers is definitely the way to go.
0: That's terrific. Is there something that you wish campers would know before they arrive? Is there, you know, something you'd like to tell RVers or campers and say, you know, this would really help you out.
3: My number one recommendation would be to plan ahead. And unfortunately, that's the way that society has come to is that there are so many people trying to be in the great outdoors. And even if you just took all the people in Colorado that love to be outdoors and didn't even open it up to anybody coming in from any other state or any other country, it's just harder and harder every year to find spaces where you can go camp. Yeah. And so people do have to plan. And that's, that's unfortunate for the people that are sporadic and just want to show up on a Friday night and find a spot because they're not going to. So they they do need to plan ahead. But by planning ahead, and especially at our campground, during the winter months, I still do field phone calls. And then we have people here in the office,
0: and you also have online reservations as well.
3: We do. You know what? We sell little hats with little moose paddles on the top of them, and some of our grown adult guests do wear them. So, oh, that's know,
0: fantastic. It's not like
3: you're in a class all by yourself. They're, so people can. You know, there's definitely people that are out there that, you know, I'll look and I'll be like, what were they doing at 2 o'clock in the morning? Because it'll put a time stamp on there when right. they booked, and I'm like, okay. But there are those people that want to be able to book online. And That's why we integrated that system. But when you book online, you can put something in the comment section like we're traveling with this group or we'd really like trees or we have kids, so can we have a site with grass? They can make those, but they're not going to be able to ask for a specific site where if they call in and deal with us since we are smaller and we can give that individual attention. Then we can try to move them to a specific site. So that's the only downfall of booking online is that you can't say, "Oh, gee, I'm going to pick this site." Like if you were booking on an airline, you don't get to pick your seat when you book.
2: We don't get to Colorado as much as
3: I want, but we will. (laughs) Well, if you're over there, like I said, it's a nice drive through the through the park. You know, certainly. Yeah, depending on actually depending on depending
2: on what day we get into town, we might have a day of nothing better to do and yeah which should be cool with me yeah. yeah yeah yeah
3: grand lake is known for its fireworks displays and so oh. that's a huge draw too so even if you were to be coming out it's just kind of like the added bonus they love their fireworks up here just because grand lake is like a lake that sits surrounded by mountains so not only do you get the reflection of the fireworks off the lake but then you get the boom that echoes through right and so Fourth of July is a huge deal, and I sell out like a year in advance for the Fourth of July because it's wow. such a big deal up here. But they do them here at New Year's, they do them in the fall, they do them multiple times. It's like they're addicted to their fireworks. Every oh, time. that's cool. Okay, cool. My favorite time is the fall. In August, the kids go back to school,
2: mm-hmm. and then.
3: During the weeks, it's just that's when we tend to have most of our rallies because they come because it's quieter and there's less people. And, yeah. But it's still beautiful. The weather's really nice, and the colors start changing, and the elk will start bugling, but there are still moose in camp, and it's kind of like the perfect time to come is in okay. the fall, and it's mm. not so busy. So it's, it's a great time to be up here. It's my favorite time.
0: Well, thank you very, very much oh, for you your are time. Welcome. And we really look forward to meeting you in person.
3: There you go, and feel free to send your happy campers our way we will do that for sure especially the vintage
0: folks yeah especially the vintage folks
3: the smaller the better yeah Yeah. (laughs) all right sounds good thanks rebecca thank
2: you i love colorado
0: and rebecca makes it like such a place i absolutely really want to go to and we're going to
2: we are so last week, we asked our question of the week, if you have updated your bug out bucket. And apparently, yeah. People some of like, you what? have not. Yeah, Because we didn't get any responses. And no. so we're going to take this opportunity to remind you to make or update your bug out bucket. Get something ready for emergencies. We've done episodes on it with Todd Mullane.
0: We'll have links there in the show notes. But please do it, and we'll
2: give you another week to answer. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll next remain there wanna- on our Facebook. Oh group. yeah, it's
2: always there. But hopefully, by next week, we'll have some more ideas. But you know, we need to make sure that our food is fresh.
0: The information is correct, and we don't want to lose any listeners. We need every one of you. That's right. And we like every one of you.
2: <laughs> That's right. Well,
0: except for you over there. I mean, well, come on. You're, you're, yeah, yeah, I but- wasn't
2: going to call that one out. All but right, whatever. So this week we want to know. Do you spring clean your camper?
0: Ooh. Yeah. And it's spring.
2: And it is spring and, and it's that's sprung. Right. So that is our question this week while you're updating your Bob, are you cleaning everything in your camper too how do you do it do you take everything out or not so that is our question for this week do you spring clean your camper we
0: have some interesting stuff to say about that <laughs> hey there good buddy break a break of one nine this here's the happy camper coming back at you and telling you about our weekly newsletter which is free and you can get it right on stresslesscamping.com where we have links to stories videos podcasts And all kinds of information around the internet, and we never sell your information or give it to anybody else because that would not be a good buddy.
2: That would not be a good buddy. buddy. So we use that to send you a weekly email and tell you what's going on here and wherever else on the internet that we find RV stuff.
0: Yeah. And if you're looking for a great resource for new RVers, RV events, deals, and more, check out the homepage of the Stressless Camping website where we've put together lots of resources, including tips for new RVers, recipes, vintage RVs, and so much more.
2: And when you get to that Stressless Camping website, you can use that to jump off onto all the social places.
0: Come get social with us. And of course, we also have discounts and deals for the best deals on things you'll need for your Stressless Camping adventure. And if you've got a great deal for our audience,
2: let us know. So if you don't want to miss a future episode of the Stressless Camping podcast, don't forget it's free to subscribe on any podcast app. We're saving you a seat around our virtual campfire.
0: A review will help others find this podcast, and more listeners means we can continue to get the best guests. So leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't, and
2: thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, we're going to fire up this rig and head on down the highway watching out for bears, good buddy.
2: Keep it wall-to-wall and treetop tall. And happy camping. camping!